Welcome, welcome everyone to Lifelong Podcast. I am your host, Heidi O'Brien, and thank you, as always, for being here. This show is all about non-toxic living and longevity. And speaking of longevity, I have one of the leaders in the science of longevity joining me on the show today. I have been a fan of this man for a while now. His work is absolutely fascinating, and I could not be more excited to be interviewing him today. Who is he? His name is Dr. Robert Lovkin. He is a medical school professor who has served at both UCLA and USC schools of medicine. In addition to being a practicing physician, he is the author of over 200 peer-reviewed scientific papers and 14 books that are available in six languages. Robert has given invited lectures and keynotes around the world and was named one of the 100 most creative people in Los Angeles by Buzz Magazine. His latest book, Liza Taught in Medical School, has just been published. He is currently adjunct clinical professor at the USC Keck School of Medicine with an academic focus on the applied science of longevity. This episode is one of my favorite to date because we cover so many different things from the obesity and diabetes epidemic to his opinion on food and seed oils. We talk about non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. We talk about toxins and how different things that enter your skin through your bloodstream. We go so many different directions in this episode, but it's all centered around non-toxic living and longevity with a particular focus in longevity because he's an expert and a doctor in the field. So with that, we need to dive right into this episode. Please join me in welcoming the fantastic Dr. Robert Lovkin. Hello, Dr. Rob. Heidi, I'm so happy to be here. I'm a fan of your show, and it's a real pleasure and honor to, to be on the program. Yeah, likewise. It's so interesting to have someone I've followed on Twitter for a while now just come to life on my screen. It's We were just talking about the AI world and everything. I'm like, huh, is this real right now? <laughs> it's going to be a great conversation today centered around longevity. You are quite the expert in that field. And I would love if you could just take a few minutes here to introduce yourself to the audience and just share a little bit about how you got to where you are today. My name is Rob Lufkin. I, um, I'm a physician by training. I actually spent my pretty much my entire career as a, both a practicing physician, but also on full-time faculty at various medical schools and where I got to not only practice, but teach and also do research. So it was a great career. Everything was going smoothly until about, about maybe six or seven years ago, I was diagnosed with four chronic diseases that I came down with. And I, these were diseases that I went to my doctors and I was prescribed medicines for them. And I began taking the medicines and I realized these were diseases that my father had gotten also, and he eventually died of them. But he was, he was almost 90 when he died. And I have two little girls that are still in uh, middle school that this wasn't going to end well if these diseases continued. This was an impetus for me out of self-interest, really, to go and question what I'd learned and what I was teaching about these diseases. And I 
began doing a deep dive, talking with colleagues and, and reading the literature. And I realized that the landscape had changed. And a lot of the things that I'd been taught growing up, a lot of my beliefs and understandings about the best foods to eat, the what toxins to avoid and sleep and exercise and all these things had really had changed slightly. And I also began to understand that the diseases that I had, and indeed, these are the diseases that affect most adult Americans and that most of us will eventually die of. These diseases, although we can get prescription drugs to treat them, the actual, if you want to reverse them, the real secret is with lifestyle and getting rid of the toxins from your environment and just taking care of that. And so this started me on a personal journey where I I first uh, changed my own lifestyle. I looked closely at toxins in my environment. Uh, I cleaned house. I changed all those things. And long story short, very in, in a reasonable amount of time, I began noticing that the symptoms were going away. And I went back to my doctors and they said, what happened? I can't believe it. Your diseases have reversed. And furthermore, you don't need these prescriptions anymore. So we're going to cancel the prescriptions. And I went off all the medications and I was able to control these, the risk for these diseases and the diseases themselves just with lifestyle factors that, that are easy for anyone to adapt, looking closely at what I was eating, the toxins in my environment, and that sort of thing. Knowing that, I began to, I wanted to let other people know about this. And so I focused on on healthy living and longevity and really focused my practice on that. I began beginning to go, instead of to the scientific literature, more going directly to the people who can benefit directly from it and reaching out, like you say, on social media and taking advantage of the amazing world we live in the communications today and just trying to get the message out. So I, I appreciate you having me on your program. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. And I always love hearing my guests' stories and it's never a linear path. And I feel that a lot of us in the health and wellness space, especially those that are trying to educate about it, have their own personal story where they found the silver lining and maybe healing from something complex and frustrating. So I'm glad that you were able to heal. I'm glad that you were able to get off those medications and now live your healthiest, happiest life. I would like to, because I've been you sent me over a, a copy of the new book, The Lies You Taught in Medical School, and I have been reading and rereading the chapters about longevity. And oh my gosh, there's so much in there that I just want to talk about. But I think if we could go to the basics right now and maybe start by explaining the difference between lifespan and health span to the audience. Yeah, that's a key point, Heidi. Uh, increasing lifespan is it's a laudable goal. We all want to live longer, but I don't think any of us want to live longer if that increased lifespan just means 10 more years in a nursing home or 10 more years in a hospital bed in a coma or something. So anytime we mm -hmm. talk about lifespan, we want to be sure and include health span in that. And lifespan is the length of time we live in years, whereas health span is the length of 
healthy years we have. Health span and lifespan should be increased together to really be effective or desirable for people. I love that. And it, it makes perfect sense. So thank you for explaining that. With longevity and genetics, I have been passionate about epigenetics for a long time. And now when I was reading your section on longevity, you talked about how longevity goes beyond just genetics. How can you emphasize that importance to the audience and maybe explain that more? Sure, yeah. I believe that too. The standard teaching that it's basically you're going to look at your parents. If they live long, you'll live long. If they didn't, you won't. And there's definitely a genetic component to longevity. But what recent studies have, have shown that it's much, much smaller effect than most people uh, believed and certainly what was believed in the past. There's a large study that was done through one of the Google Alphabet companies that we talk about in the book where they looked at literally 23andMe data and on the order of millions of patients. And they found that uh, the correlation with longevity was less, the correlation with genetics with longevity was less than 10%, which is actually a, a pretty small number. But that's actually good news for all of us because it means that we're in charge of our lifespan and our lives. So we have agency. We get to choose. We, and literally the choices we make in our lifestyle will determine the length of our lives. There may be accidents that happen and we're not completely in control of our lives. But the point is, it's not just what I got from my great-grandmother but rather it's the choices that I've made throughout my life that are going to have the, the greatest effect on longevity. And that's the genetic factor. And then you mentioned uh, epigenetics and genetics are the, is the DNA basically that's more or less other than mutations, it's fixed throughout our lives. Epigenetics, of course, is the sort of the software on top of the DNA that, that are the programs and the epigenetics we change throughout our lives. And it, Lucia Aronica is a epigenetics expert from Stanford. And she's written a lot about how we use lifestyle to reprogram our epigenome. So the food choices we make, the toxins we have in our environment, the exercise, sleep, all these things change our epigenetics. And then the epigenetics controls the expression of the genes that we do have. For longevity, genetics, a small role, but epigenetics is really a main driver of our longevity. And the good news is we control our epigenetics through lifestyle and our environmental choices we make. It's a hopeful message, and I hope everyone just rewinds and plays that again. Going deeper into that with nutrition and toxins, what are some of the specific takeaways for the audience that maybe might be, generally speaking, would be good to avoid or good to add in, like some of these principles of nutrition? One of the wake-up moments in doing this work and writing the book was discovering how big a role that nutrition 
to start off with plays in these chronic diseases that affect us and literally will determine our longevity uh, and what we die of. Every doctor, every mother, every parent gives the advice, eat right. But I guess the issue is there's a lot of disagreement about what eating right means. My mom was a dietitian, So when I grew up eating right and the teaching that she was a professional dietitian, that was her job. She, we followed the government guidelines religiously, the recommendations at that point, and still from our government are to eat low fat type diets and substitute butter with margarine containing trans fats and seed oils, eat low fat options for food where the fat is removed and sugar is substituted in. I think this is a big mistake. In fact, it's one of the big contributors to the epidemic of obesity we have in this country and also to the epidemic of diabetes. And obesity and diabetes are drivers for all the major chronic diseases that will kill us, cardiovascular disease, cancer, Alzheimer's disease. So nutrition plays a huge role. Um, For me, the the things I avoid is junk food. And I admit I'm a recovering processed junk food addict. Mm. I love junk food, but I love my children more and I want to live to see their grandchildren. So I for me, I get rid of junk food. And junk food, you can recognize it because it contains large amounts of sugar, large amounts of refined carbohydrates. What are refined carbohydrates? Those are starches and things like flour, rice, and bread. They convert to sugar almost immediately in our bodies. This sugar has enormous consequences, negative health consequences to it. So I avoid things that contain sugar, refined carbohydrates. Then there's another thing called seed oils, which is the second one. And seed oils also drive insulin resistance, diabetes. They drive inflammation. Seed oils are actually promoted by the American Heart Association. Seed oils are things like canola oil. They have the benign sounding name of vegetable oils, Mm. but they're not made from vegetables at all. And they actually do a lot of harm to us. So I avoid seed oils. They're in everything we eat practically, salad dressings, even hummus, even olive oil has sometimes seed oils like canola oil added to it. So I look closely at food labels to get rid of uh, seed oils. So instead of eating the seed oils, I'll substitute healthy oils like avocado oil, coconut oil, or olive oil. That's the second one. The last thing in junk foods for me in my path is to um, avoid grains, not just I avoid even whole wheat grains. And there's a disease related to a protein in the grains called gluten, and the disease is called celiac disease for people who are intolerant of gluten. It's a terrible inflammatory process. It affects many different parts of the body. I don't have celiac disease, and most people don't, This, this, but there's growing evidence that up to 50% of people develop antibodies on a low level to gluten and other proteins in grains, and these antibodies drive all sorts of chronic diseases and symptoms that they may not even be aware of the cause. 
And in addition, grains have a lot of carbohydrates in them. A lot of these refined carbohydrates that convert into sugar. So that's the other reason I avoid the grains. And then finally, in America, we use a weed killer called, called glyphosate on the grains extensively. This is outlawed in some European countries because of health concerns. But in America, for most grains, they're soaked in this herbicide, this toxin called glyphosate. And for all those reasons, I avoid grains as well. That's my approach to junk food and eating. And if you do that, you make a big difference. And even if you don't, even if you don't avoid junk foods and you say, look, I'm not going to change my diet. Is there anything I can do to be healthier on the nutrition side? Even if I don't change what I eat, mm -hmm. there actually is. The one thing you can do is just stop eating all the time. <laughs> In other words, I was taught it was healthy like to grazing eat. Grazing all day. <laughs> all day, all night. Whenever I'm awake, eat small, multiple small meals. That's actually mm. not as healthy as eating three meals and nothing in between, or even healthier, eating two meals and nothing in between. Or I eat one meal and nothing in between, and I never wow. felt better. And I believe it's healthier also. How do you do that one meal a day? First of all, doing a lot of reading with Jason Fung and uh, other experts on fasting. If you think about it, all the religions of the world agree on very few things, but there's one thing they all agree on, and that is that um, fasting is a path to a healthy life. So there's something about fasting that all religions embrace, and there's mm -hmm. tremendous health evidence that fasting actually turns down inflammation, it turns down mTOR, which is a longevity protein, and it allows your body to heal. It allows your body to repair and autophagy. So first of all, I, I accepted that it was a healthy thing to do. I didn't know, like you, I said, there's no way this, I'm going to be able to do this. So I began <laughs> cutting out the junk foods, and I noticed that by eating less sugar and refined carbohydrates, my body switched its metabolism from primarily sugar metabolism, which it was before, to something called ketones. So I became in ketosis more and more. And the interesting thing, when you go into ketosis, it drops your appetite down. That's why people mm -hmm. on a ketogenic diet lose lots of weight and they, they, their dad bod goes away and they return to <laughs> washboard abs or whatever, just because the weight goes away. So in ketosis, which is actually a very healthy state to be in, mm -hmm. your appetite is suppressed. What I did was I started by just, I brushed my teeth mm -hmm. after dinner and then being basically a lazy person, I realized I couldn't eat after that because then I'd have to brush my teeth again. And then I basically dropped breakfast and pushed it back till noon. And and then usually I skip lunch too. And then I have my one meal with my kids at, at dinner time. I don't count calories. So nobody can count mm -hmm. that high. It's one meal a day. So I don't worry <laughs> about the amount. If you're if you have this sort of plan, mm -hmm. the calories really don't matter for most people. At least for me, it didn't. Yeah. And then while you're fasting, after you start fasting for a while, your diet, your appetite drops because you, you're in this state called ketosis, which for me meant the brain fog went away. My mind was really sharp. I have a lot of energy. I ride 10 miles on my bike in the morning and I haven't eaten since six o'clock the night before, you know, and I won't eat for another wow. six hours. 
it's really, I like the way I feel and it, and it makes me healthy. I believe it makes me healthier as well. I've heard a lot about fasting and my mom has been into the intermittent fasting and she tries to fast a day a week. I do have a cup of coffee in the morning, but it's black coffee. Uh It doesn't trigger any, there's no calories in it. Mm -hmm. That's okay for this type of fast. I do have coffee and things throughout the day or water or that sort of thing. What's fascinating now to me is how when someone is sick with the flu or whatever and your appetite goes away and you don't want to eat, And it's your body's just natural response to healing because the energy then can go to healing and not digesting. And that, I think, in and of itself is telling as well because there is a healing component too, right? Yeah. One of the oldest treatments for epilepsy, seizure disorders that is 2,000 years old, is just to fast, to stop eating and the seizures will go away. And that's used today. And Chris Palmer, from who's written a book called Brain Energy, is a great, you should have him on your program, Heidi, if he's not already on, but he took the, the fasting, or you can simulate fasting with a ketogenic diet, with a type of diet that keeps you in this ketotic state. And he applied the seizure diet to his patients with mental illness at Harvard Medical School. And he found that by going on these this type of diet where they avoid junk foods and stay in ketosis, some of his patients, not all of them, but some of the patients were able to go off their psychiatric medicines. The voices would go away and they could actually be discharged from the hospital oh. off medicines and go home. And he said, he, like one of his patients, Simple. he's talking to her and she knows whenever she eats junk food, that the voices will start coming back and talking to her so she knows not to eat the junk food because she goes back oh, in to that. But that. there are a lot of powerful things about nutrition and these various metabolic states for diseases we didn't think they really had an effect on. Um, uh, Heather Sanderson is an Alzheimer's disease expert. She has patients who... Um, she has an amazing Alzheimer's clinic that follows the Dale Bredesen protocol for Alzheimer's disease. And it's an unusual clinic because it's the only clinic I've ever heard of for Alzheimer's disease. It's an, actually a nursing home where the patients actually go home at the end after they're there for a while. Oh. Most Alzheimer's nursing homes are, are a one-way street. You only get worse right. and then you die. My mom mm-hmm. passed away from that. But with mm-hmm. Heather Sanderson's clinic, they use all these approaches, uh, dietary nutritional approaches. They look at toxins. Uh, they look at other environmental factors, inflammation. But on the diet side, she tells a wonderful story about all their patients are on a ketogenic diet, this sort of anti-epilepsy diet, the mental illness diet, the same diet that that mm-hmm. I'm on with the fasting. And yeah, yeah. what she does it at their nursing homes for all their Alzheimer's patients because, you know, it helps a significant number of them. But she's funny. I said, I was talking to her and I said, how do you, you know, this ketogenic diet actually works? You know, you've got all your people on it, but you know, come on. And she said, you know, sometimes there's really strong evidence. Like um, one man, I could tell when he's in ketosis, in other words, when he's been following the diet, because when his grandchildren walk in the room, he remembers their names and he hugs them and everything. But when he mm-hmm. goes off the diet and is not in ketosis, 
when the children come in the room, he doesn't recognize them and even know who they are. They look like strangers to him. Mm. So it was wow. that amazing is effects on these lifestyle and diet toxins, all these factors. Yeah. I, I want to jump over to the toxin side here. And I think the perfect segue is maybe talking about some of these food additives, like food coloring and flavoring and maltodextrin and all these wacky food additives. Yeah. Somebody once made the, the great observation that if we all stopped eating any food that wasn't available 150 years ago, that almost all of our health would improve. And that says something really damning about our current health, our current food supply in the food system is that most of the modern food that we eat is probably contributing or much of it is contributing to a lot of the chronic diseases that we face today. There are new diseases like non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which didn't it's, it's where fat replaces the liver and you get inflammation. It didn't exist before 1980. Today, it's the number one cause of liver disease and the number one cause of liver transplants. And there's oh. growing evidence that non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is caused by fructose. And fructose is a, is a component of sugar, along with glucose, that began being used in grain amounts in the 1980s with the in invention or the, the broad acceptance of something called high fructose corn syrup. Basically, Coca-Cola mm -hmm. and, and Pepsi, all the soda manufacturers switched in the 1980s from cane sugar to high fructose corn syrup. High fructose corn syrup is a main ingredient of all our junk foods because one, it has a long shelf life, unlike cane sugar, which sort of crystallizes and tastes crunchy, like we all know. Mm. High fructose corn syrup stays in liquid form and it will last very long time on the shelf. Mm. And there's one more factor. The, the corn that's, that's used to make high fructose corn syrup is subsidized by the federal government, the United States. There's huge corn mm. subsidies as well as other junk food subsidies for grains and wheat and other things. But these corn subsidies artificially lower the price of high fructose corn syrup. You wonder why junk food is- And you know, seed when it, oils. People, yeah, too. and seed oils as well. <laughs> yeah, from corn oil. People complain that eating healthy is expensive. It is. It can be more expensive than junk food, but it's not that eating healthy is expensive. It's just that a lot of the junk food components are- artificially lowered in price by the federal government. So it's our tax dollars are lowering the price of the, these junk food things, which drive people who may not have the economic resources to turn towards junk food instead of something healthier. Mm, such a bummer. But I feel like there are a lot of people waking up to this and that things are slowly turning. I I like the analogy of how far can the pendulum swing? And I feel like we're swinging pretty far towards chronic disease, cancer, autism, autoimmune. I think people are slowly going to wake up and they are, but we're just like in the thick of it right now, which feels, Absolutely. I think, hard. But I'm hopeful. Absolutely. Programs like yours are, are doing a lot to it. The one one bit of advice as far as additives to food is always read the food label. It, it's probably healthier if you buy 
food without food labels. If the food requires a label, that in itself is a warning sign. And then look at the food label and read it. And if there are more than three or four ingredients, or if there, there are many ingredients that you don't recognize what they are or what they do, right. that's probably right. a, a bad sign because there are so many different, so many different ingredients and toxins and potential potentially harmful things that can be added to foods that it's it's really hard to keep track of them up in your mind. Mm -hmm. And manufacturers also do something. They change the names of them so that everyone knows that sugar is bad and unhealthy to eat. So they look on the food labels and they go, the ingredient list rather, and they'll say, mm -hmm. oh, there's no sugar in there, but there's, there's something else in there. There's malodextrin or sucralose or there so right. it's almost, it, it, it's challenging to remember all the names of all the additives and everything. And you, you mentioned mm -hmm. several of them as well there, but, but a, a simple approach is just avoid long lists yeah. of ingredients, avoid food with those, those things if you can. Yeah. Go back to the basics. It's always the best way. What are some not specific to food? Are there any specific toxins that you've studied or read about that maybe the audience should pay particular attention to? Maybe it's something in their personal care products or mold in their home. Are there anything else? Yeah. On a general level, a big wake-up call for me was how common toxins were in our environment and how they were generally overlooked by things. There's a great, I know if you've had Mark Hyman on the show, he's a functional medicine expert from Cleveland Clinic. He has a great, it's called the multiple system questionnaire, MSQ. You can go on the, you can search for it and download it, but it basically just list symptoms that you have, and they're diverse symptoms. They're headaches or ankle pain or fatigue, seemingly unrelated symptoms. But what he and his group and others have shown is that toxicity can manifest with a variety of different symptoms. It, and that's why it's frequently misdiagnosed by mainstream doctors, because they focus yeah. on specific areas. Your joints hurt. Okay, that's arthritis. That's certain things. But actually, that can be a a symptom of toxicity. So mm -hmm. that was something that was really a wake-up call for me. Um, things you mentioned, yeah, mold toxicity is frequently overlooked. And mold is really a, a problem that a lot of people don't pay enough attention to. And they it, it can drive a lot of these Alzheimer's patients and also these other chronic symptoms. Lead, lead paint, everybody knows about lead paint. But I, I used to think it was, well, you just have to chip the flakes into your food or something to really get lead poisoning. But actually, mm. in earlier homes that were point, painted with lead paint, the lead paint actually uh, breaks down into dust. So it's not like the flakes are on the corner and the wall and they get in your food. It's actually the dust can become aerosolized. And even from breathing in it, uh, there's a problem. And lead testing is very complex. It's not just a simple blood test, as, as you may know, because it can hide mm -hmm. in different parts of the body. So it's challenging even to te test for lead. Mercury is another one. I'm of the generation with dental amalgam. And then mercury in fish. Dental amalgam has a lot of mercury in yeah. fish. And Now people um, are getting them removed, but you have to go to a special biological yeah, dentist. Yeah, and that's a, big, that's a big ask to get you know, all the dental work yeah. and everything. 
done for that. So it's a lot of it. The cosmetics you mentioned, the personal care products, this is like the Wild West. And my thinking really changed on those. Makeup, personal care products. We should start thinking about those as food that we don't swallow and eat, but it's rather food we put on our skin because we absorb these things through our skin, just like we absorb food through our digestive tract. And the problem is there's no similarly regulatory agency for cosmetic and personal care products like there is that protects us from the food. There's at least FDA and other government organizations that keep an eye on food ingredients. For Mm -hmm. personal care products, it's much, much more lax. I think it's really important to pay attention to those. And there are certain brands that don't have a lot of additives and there are certain additives that you can watch out for. But yeah, personal care products is, a, in my opinion, a greatly overlooked path for toxins to get in our bodies. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you mentioned thinking about it as like food for the skin, because I think people forget that our skin can absorb these things. And when I actually just had Indy Lee on, Indy Lee is the founder of a big non-toxic skincare company. And she had an awesome quote. And she said, she was basically talking about, if this is hard for people to grasp, then maybe have them think about a nicoderm patch or a birth control patch. And she was like, if there are medications that can work transdermally, then we really need to think about everything that touches our skin on a daily basis. And the average woman, I believe, encounters 168 chemicals before she leaves the home just on her skin, which is wild. So I'm glad that you also mentioned that because 90% of my audience is also a woman, or 90% of my audience are women. You talked about fasting and how that's really important to you. I want to hear more just about like your daily wellness non-negotiables. You are obviously someone who's a longevity researcher. You're into this whole world. What are your like What's your lifestyle? What's your daily routine? Not, what are your non-negotiables? Nutrition, avoid those three things and yep. try and avoid junk food. I have two young daughters, so it's challenging, but it's great. My wife supports me on this. So we we do eat healthy meals and we keep a lot of junk food out of the house that would otherwise be a temptation for me that I'm an addict. I would break down. So keeping it out of the house is a big was a big thing for me. So that's as far as the nutrition side and the fasting. As far as the exercise, both, I realized that these are really both important, although everybody says, everybody says that, but I, I found that to be true in my investigations, both physical exercise and mental exercise. With physical exercise, Mm. there appears to be a sweet spot around about an hour a day maximum. It's okay to go a little over that. Too little exercise is unhealthy. And then what we're also finding out is too much exercise. There's growing evidence that some ultra athletes that do a lot of marathons or ultra marathons, they're now showing up with cardiac fibrosis and increased calcium scores. So there's something going on with the heart Mm. with large amounts of exercise. So we need to look Mm -hmm. at that. But for me, that wasn't a problem. So I, I do exercise bike. I ride that. And with exercise or any lifestyle, it's health 
it's helpful to in, enroll your friends and family to support you. So announce your commitments. Like I said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to ride my bike virtually across America for 3000 miles. So I set up a pedal bike that hooks up to the internet and there are free sites that you can hook up to Strava. And then I put up a charity website. So the money would go to Alzheimer's disease research. And then every day I would ride the bike and it would automatically upload and my friends could track it and everything. And that was the so beginning cool. of COVID. So I just passed six, I just passed 3000 miles. So I changed it to America and back. And then I passed 6,000 wow. miles. So now I'm almost at 7,000 miles. So I'm going to make it around the world or something, but that That's make so cool. commitments about the exercise. Even if you're just going to walk around the, the block, mental exercise mm -hmm. for me, it was, I always wanted to learn Chinese. So I started doing Duolingo, which is a free app on the internet for any language mm -hmm. you want, pretty much even Cherokee or Swahili. For me, it was Mandarin Chinese, mm. so I do it every day, and I now have a streak of almost four years every day. Oh, but my gosh. You have to be pretty fluent by now. <laughs> to test it, what I did, the next step you can do with any language you're working on is if you don't have anybody around the house who speaks it, my wife happens to be Chinese, so she's fluent in it, but I always, I can't trust her feedback sometimes. She just, she says, you're terrible. You don't speak well. So I, I switched to... I took my Siri or my Google, hey, Google, whatever your AI app is, and I just switched the language to Mandarin. Now, I have, if I want something from Siri, I'll have to say, I can't say, hey, Siri, set a timer for 20 minutes because it won't understand me. So I'll have to say, hey, Siri, ding ji shi ar shi fan zhong. And if I pronounce it correctly enough, the, the timer will appear for 20 minutes. Yeah, oh, so cool. <laughs> the next step, I which I that. haven't gotten to, is to change the operating system on your computer, on your laptop, to whatever your language is, whether it's Spanish or That's a big you know, stop. <laughs> Mandarin. I, I'm not there yet, but <laughs> those Getting are pointers there. that were helping me at least. <laughs> With oh, that. yeah. So the physical exercise and the mental exercise are really important aspects of your daily routine as well. I love hearing about it. Yeah. Stress and sleep, too. Don't overlook those. Stress is important. Have a daily meditation practice if you can, if that, and pay attention yeah. to your consciousness. Absolutely. This has been so wonderful, Dr. Rob. I am loving this episode so far. I cannot wait for it to go live. Can In closing, can you let everyone know what you've been up to lately, where they can find you, where they can get your book? Any closing thoughts there? Sure. Yeah. My website is robertlufkinmd.com. It's L-U-F as in Frank, K-I-N. That's my Twitter handle also without the .com, my Instagram, all those things. I've my my book, Liza Cotton Medical School, is just coming out. And if you'd like a free sample chapter, the first chapter to get a, a feel for it, just go to my website, robertlufkinmd.com, and then type slash chapter. And you can download for free an audio version or a, a, a PDF version of the first chapter and see how you like it. And it's going to be it's going to be coming out in a few months, and it, it hopefully it'll be at your library too. If you don't feel like buying it, you can get it there. Awesome! No, I will be sure to link all of this in the show notes so everyone can easily access all of that. And like I said, I have been 
reading, especially the chapter on longevity, you provided a, a copy to me, which I'm so grateful for and very excited for it to launch. And I hope everyone purchases it or at least checks out the the free chapter because that's an awesome offer. So thank you again so much. This has been wonderful. Thank you, Heidi. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. And thank you also for all the great work you're doing with this program. One more thing before you go. Are you subscribed to Lifelong Podcast? Have you left a rating and review? Are you following along on Instagram at lifelong underscore pod and at holistic with Heidi? If you're not doing so already, consider doing it to support our show and to help spread this message near and far. Thank you all, and we'll see you next week.